Good morning and welcome to this, the first event of the Euractiv Giga Europe Digital Debate Series. I'm Brian McGuire. Today we address trust in a digital decade, making sure technology serves EU citizens. You can follow the discussion at hashtag EA Debates. Please tweet your comments using the hashtag and our social media team will respond to you there. To ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. In March, the European Commission presented a vision for Europe's digital transformation by 2030. It focused on four key points, skills, government, infrastructure and business. A framework of digital principles to help promote and uphold EU values in the digital space. At the heart of this is a secure and trusted online environment. For connectivity providers, trust is defined as a secure connection which is linked to cybersecurity and a private connection which builds confidence about the transparent and trustworthy use of our data and a resilient future-proof and high-quality connection which ensures good uh, gigabyte speeds including in rural areas. Digitalization of Europe's services and value chains over the next six years could boost Europe's GDP per capita by 7.2%, equivalent to a 1 trillion euro increase in overall GDP. To discuss this and other issues, uh, we have with us today our keynote speaker, Margaret Vestager, Executive Vice President of the European Commission with responsibility for a Europe fit for the digital age. Good morning, Commissioner. Well, it's very good to be here and thank you for this, I think, very good introduction. You're welcome. Great to see you again. I think we did uh, one other event last week as well on artificial intelligence and now we're on to connectivity. Well, the floor is all yours, Commissioner. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I would like to, to start by taking us all back uh, to 2021. No, uh, 2001. Because uh, back then, on the 7th uh, of September, uh, it was uh, it was a really special situation for the entire medical sector because it was the first ever long distance uh, robotic surgery uh, that was being performed, uh, known as Operation Lindbergh, since it was a doctor in downtown New York uh, operating a 68 year old woman 6,000 kilometers away. Uh, that was in uh, in Strasbourg, and that was a success. It took 45 minutes, and it worked. Uh, and obviously, it paved the way for enormous improvements uh, and developments in robotic surgery. And this could only happen because of uh, of high speed uh, connectivity and precision robotics. But more than anything else, it could only happen because of full unquestioned trusts uh, that the doctor and his patient put into this technology. Uh, now, 20 years later, uh, robot-assisted uh, surgery has largely developed, but the question of how much we trust technology remains uh, relevant. Um, and Europeans' trust in, in technology is quite low. Uh, a recent Eurobarometer sh uh, survey showed that uh, only 25% of Europeans would trust a ride in a self-driving car. Uh, this, of course, uh, could be anecdotal if it wasn't hiding a serious problem. Uh, the development of, uh, of digital uh, technology holds the key to a large degree of our prosperity and competitiveness. But not much will happen if we do not trust the technology. 
and this is why our European approach to digitization puts people first. There is a common threat uh, to everything we do. No matter how fast technology evolves, well, they must always serve a human purpose with no one left behind. Uh, there are four things that we must have uh, if we want to create uh, that kind of trust. First, the knowledge as to how technology works. Second, the skills uh, to make it work. Thirdly, solid and reliable uh, infrastructure and a free and safe uh, online environment where we can control uh, what we share about ourselves. Uh, too often when it comes to digital, uh, information is actually hard to get. Uh, we see platforms as black boxes, as sophisticated uh, algorithms. Um, and these sophisticated algorithms, they get to choose what we see of uh, the world that we live in, or, or maybe rather what we don't see. Uh, to gain control over uh, digital technologies, we must first uh, understand them. Uh, to do this, uh, our Digital Services Act requires platforms to tell us how their algorithm works. Uh, not to reveal them entirely, uh, but to make it clear how their recommender system selects the content that we see. So, in doing that, we can have a better idea as to uh, why we're influenced and how we're influenced. And then, of course, decide if we want to trust this or not. Same applies to our proposal on high-risk application of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, when AI system entails risk to our fundamental rights or physical safety, we are entitled to a good explanation as to how these systems work, uh, what, what data they have been trained with, uh, how reliable and robust the outcomes are, and what they are being used for. Uh, we don't accept mass surveillance uh, in our society, and we do not accept either the systematic use of remote biometric uh, identification or any subliminal technique uh, that would make us do something that we don't want to do. Together with knowledge about how the technology works, we need the skills to make them work. Uh, in fact, uh, who among us would trust anything if we had no idea uh, how it worked? Uh, and this is why our skills agenda sets out the goal that 17% of Europeans would have basic digital skills by 2025. It will be for every member state to make sure that the high school students uh, of today can become the ICT uh, specialists uh, of tomorrow. And by 2030, we need a lot of them. The third condition that we need to fulfill if we want to create trust in digital technologies is the ability uh, or availability of, um, of solid uh, and reliable digital uh, infrastructure. Um, as in the example of, uh, of the Lindbergh uh, operation, we must feel confident that the connectivity will not let us down, that we will uh, have access to high-speed internet 
no matter where we are uh, in the European Union. Uh, I think those months of uh, of the pandemic made sure made us all see that this is this is not just a technical matter. It is a matter of social inclusion. Are you part of what is ongoing or are you not? Uh, and this is why the implementation of, uh, of the EU's 5G securities toolbox is uh, both essential and urgent. Uh, by 2030, uh, we want all European households covered by gigabit uh, connectivity. Uh, hand in hand with connectivity, there is cybersecurity. Uh, the more connected uh, that we become, the more concerned we are about the safety of what we do online. Uh, especially, of course, with when things are sensitive, uh, online operation is, is obviously one, banking could be another one. Uh, any failure of the system and our trust sort of shifts away, disappears, it's gone. Uh, the European cybersecurity uh, strategy sets out a series of initiatives to increase uh, cybersecurity in, uh, in Europe, supported by the greatest amount of EU funding ever. Uh, that could amount uh, to 2 billion euros uh, overall, uh, in addition to member states and industry uh, investment. Together, knowledge, skills, infrastructure creates a strong foundation of trust but that's not enough uh, on the other side of that bargain platforms must always also play their part uh, they must contribute to a safe uh, online environment uh, for all users of, uh, of digital roads and and to do to make sure that this happens, uh, we have tabled a set of initiatives that all together uh, design the online space as we want it to look safe and free. Uh, a safe online environment starts with being able to trust what we do online, uh, trust the news that we read uh, without having to fear that we fall upon uh, terrorist uh, propaganda. Trust that the, to the toy that we buy uh, online is as safe as the toy that we buy uh, in the shop just around the corner. Um, this is precisely the purpose of the Digital Services Act that I have mentioned uh, already once. Um, it defines a list of obligations uh, that platforms uh, must meet in order to protect us from illegal and harmful uh, content. Uh, without uh, ever uh, jeopardizing the freedom of speech. Uh, for instance, platforms will have to remove uh, illegal content, but in parallel, uh, explain to the user why the content uh, was removed and give him or her a chance to complain. Um, online marketplaces will have to check their seller's identity uh, before they are allowed uh, to use the platform in order, of course, to make life so much harder for Dutch traders. Finally, uh, no online journey uh, will be safe without our data being safe. Uh, the more we advance uh, our digital uh, transition, the more data we produce, uh, the more control we need over uh, these data. 
uh, Europe's data protection law are already uh, among the toughest uh, in the world. In addition, we put data protection obligations in every proposal that we table. Uh, it is even one of the main goals of our recent uh, proposals of a European digital identity. Uh, it puts all of us in full control of our personal data since uh, only we decide how much uh, information is stored, how much is shared with our electronic ID. We want transparency and we want citizen control. That is, that is part of the basic principles upon which every regulation, every piece of legislation must build. Uh, those are important uh, points of the new digital uh, declaration of digital uh, principles, uh, an instrument for us to, to promote, to uphold uh, European values uh, in digital space. Uh, along with uh, others like uh, freedom of speech, universal access to high uh, quality connectivity uh, and to digital education. Uh, back in 2001, uh, Dr. Jacques Moresco uh, in New York had more than just the technical means uh, to achieve uh, what would become the world's first uh, long-distance uh, remote surgery. He and his patient had the confidence that it could work. Because three things were there to make it work. A safe environment, reliable performance infrastructure, and a positive human purpose. Three conditions that, that at the core of our trust in the digital decade. Thank you very much. Commissioner, thank you. A positive uh, human purpose also took away uh, transparency with citizens' control and you began with uh, full unquestioned uh, trust as well uh, as uh, the starting point for, for how we move forward with this. Just, uh, I know you will stay with us for just a moment or two. Uh, we have three quick questions uh, from some of our panellists who uh, will introduce a bit more fully later on. But uh, let me uh, invite uh, Manuel Constam. Uh, he's the Giga Europe co-chairman. He's also senior vice president and chief corporate affairs officer at Liberty Global. Manuel, good morning. Good morning, Brian, and uh, good morning, Madam Commissioner, uh, thank you very much for that very thoughtful analysis of the uh, state of our digital society and, uh, and your policy objectives for the, for the coming years. Uh, so this year's worldwide pandemic has, has completely shifted the way we think about working from home or social interactions and the importance of access to our digital world uh, in a crisis. And witnessing this, this unprecedented dependency on information technology and high-speed networks, We've all come to learn how our personal lives, societies, and economies are kind of hyper-connected and, and interlinked. But we're also increasingly confronted with the vulnerability uh, of this new reality when it comes to ethics, cybersecurity, and privacy. Now, we, uh, as a company, we're very much aware of these dependencies and aim to ensure that our gigabit connections are fully reliable and secure while ensuring a maximum trust in digital services. But my question to you uh, would be, what do you see as the EU's main challenges in, in accelerating trusted access to artificial intelligence and big data-driven services? And what can companies such as ourselves in the connectivity industry do to support their policy objectives towards higher levels of trust in the digital transformation? 
I, I really appreciate uh, how you how you put this uh, sort of the balances, because working with with enforcement and, and legislation, very often one gets to to focus on on what needs to be regulated and not all the many things that can be embraced, uh, because there are so many things where where we can improve society by the full use of uh, of digital. Uh, technologies and, of course, the, the life of, uh, of each and every one of us. Uh, I think the most important thing is to um, to make, pe make people see that they, they do have control over their data uh, to enable that. Because I, I think now a lot of people know that they have the, the rights to, to private life, they have a right for their data to be protected. But I think a lot of people find that it's a bit of a fiction because they don't know really know how to do this. And, uh, and I think the more one can enable people to feel in control, the more trust will be built. And, uh, and I also hope that, <clears throat> that every business will take part in, in our educational uh, mission uh, because I think it's, it's very often so much more encouraging uh, to start one's educational life, being a trainee or or uh, doing a part time in uh, in a business uh, to learn on the job, uh, and then to get also the more sort of theoretical skills uh, uh, at school at university, but that that industry that businesses take part in in this educational uh, endeavor. So uh, I think those those were the the absolute sort of top of mind uh, issues uh, in order to be co-creators of trust. Well, thank you. Our next question is from Joachim Reiter. He's uh, also uh, Giga Europe co-chairman, but chief uh, corporate affairs officer and executive committee member of Vodafone Group. Uh, Joachim, good morning. Good morning, and uh, thank you very much, Commissioner. Um, I, what I really like about, and I want to start with the praise of the Commission, what I really like about what uh, Margaret and, and the Commission at large has outlined is, is an agenda of trust that combines protection with empowerment. And if you look at the four parameters that uh, the Commissioner talks about, the empowerment element is a very essential one of it. So essentially empowering members of society to be productive in the, and productive and be able to trust the digital society that we are all creating. And I think that resonates quite well with the private sector at large. Now, the, the question from the industry that Manuel and I come from is we do, as you know, we always do gap analysis. And, and one of the things that in terms of the high level of ambition and commission has set out, there will be huge gaps that we need to overcome. Of course, on the digital skills is a clear one, but the other one is on the connectivity. And of course, one of the things that I would like to hear from the commissioner a little bit more is, what's the tools, the levers that the Commission would like to pull to drive together with member states and with industry that we can overcome the quite significant investment gap that we're faced with in order to achieve universal access to internet, which we're far from, and we will struggle um, under the current conditions quite significantly to achieve. Is, uh, is obvious uh, because it's the thing we need to, to do together in order to reach um, our defined target of all households being connected. Um, one thing that we want to balance uh, is to make sure that where there is a, a business case, 
for connectivity, it is for businesses to establish it. Where there is no business case, then um, other citizens in the role as taxpayers should be able to come in and, uh, and support uh, the, the construction or, or the enabling of, uh, of connectivity. Uh, right now, we are in the process of looking into our broadband uh, guidelines to make sure that they are sufficiently uh, flexible uh, to support uh, this use. Uh, the second thing is that we uh, encourage uh, member states to do what we call sort of beauty contests when it comes to the frequencies uh, that is needed, uh, for instance, for, for 5G. So to ask about who can provide us with the broadest connectivity in the fastest possible way, and then leave the funding in the companies. Uh, here, we have not been uh, really successful, I think because it's kind of muscle memory in most uh, government, how much funding has been, have been coming in uh, over the years from these kind of, uh, of auctions. But, but it's still a possibility to go that way, to say we, it's the functionalities uh, of our auctions that is of the essence rather uh, than the funding uh, coming from the businesses. And thirdly, we see in, uh, in most uh, recovery and resilience plans, member states makes it a priority uh, to support connectivity. Uh, as you will know, 20% uh, of, um, uh, of the uh, amount for each member state uh, will have to go to, to, to digital investment, uh, and here connectivity will, will definitely play a role in, in many, many uh, countries. Commissioner, and just one final question uh, before you, uh, you leave us is uh, David Stevens. Uh, he's the president of the D D uh, Belgian Data Protection Authority. Good morning, David. Good morning. Thank you, uh, Ms. Commissioner, for your uh, introduction. I wouldn't want to uh, say that you were not right on transparency and user control and even empowerment as it was uh, translated later on. I think also for regulators as we are in data protection, uh, that's the challenge we have to uh, live up to that is protecting citizens and nevertheless are trying to do that in a way which doesn't undermine their trust. Let me give you one example where it might become tricky. Uh, if you want to launch as a member state, not us, of course, but as a member state, a Corona app or a Corona certificate and things like that, there is traditional command and control data protection regulation. And there is this objective where it relates to uh, public health and, and so on and so on. So one of the instruments which I think are important to close the gap between the general principles of GDPR on the one side and on the application of those principles in really very practical and concrete cases is uh, codes of conduct. Uh, as you might know, the Belgian Data Protection Authority some weeks ago approved the first transnational code of conduct for data protection related to cloud services. And I, uh, I myself am a strong believer in that instrument because it's, a, a, how should I say, an almost a negotiated process with industry where we as uh, mature adults try to decide on how these uh, general data protection rules need to be applied in practical cases. Um, so this kind of new co-regulatory regimes, is this something which is, uh, is coming more in the future or in the view of the commissioner? What, that's the one the first question. And the second one is, I truly believe if one I look question, at the, Let's take one question at a time, yeah. David. Thank you. Let's put this to the commissioner well, first. Well, Data Thank you. Digital Services Act, uh, 
networks of regulators is the question, uh, the next question. The, the, the GDPR, sort of our, our citizen, digital citizens, right, is, is with Vera Yurova and, and Didier Reinders. Um, so, so they will know a thousand times more than, than I would do uh, about it. Uh, but for me, uh, what you are uh, suggesting and what you're doing is, is the way to go. Um, because for, for, for many businesses, I think it's still a challenge. Uh, for smaller businesses, it's still a thing that they think that they sort of have to overcome uh, to respect people, private, people's privacy. And that's, that's really a pity because uh, protecting privacy, uh, empowering people uh, could be one of the drivers of digitization. One of the things that makes us confident and, and certain that this is for us, this is something that we want to do. So uh, I think that, that these different sort of codes of conduct is, is indeed a, a way to go. And, and of course, I hope that you share them uh, in the network of authorities uh, and also in the, with the European uh, Data Protection uh, Board so that we get a, a, a more and more uh, uniform uh, application uh, all over Europe, because I think that has been, or and to some degree still is, uh, one of the concerns of, uh, of businesses that their competitors uh, do not necessarily have to uh, or do uh, implement it uh, the right way. And, and I think that that kind of networks as, as you have, uh, and as I have experienced firsthand uh, with the European network of uh, national committees and authorities, working with uh, the European um, authority, that's the way to go. Because it is, it is low on protocol and high on substance, uh, which means that uh, such network can be really, really useful uh, for the citizens that we serve. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us this morning. Great to see you again. I wish you a good day today. Likewise. Have a nice day. Thank you. Take care. Now let's uh, bring in the rest of our panel also this morning. Um, we have uh, from the uh, European Commission, Luena Box uh, Alonso. Uh, she's the Director of Digital Society, Trust and Cybersecurity at DG Connect, the European Commission. We also have with us uh, Brando Benefe, a member of the European Parliament, a member of the IDA Committee in the Parliament. Uh, David Stevens, uh, we have uh, already heard from. Manuel Constam, uh, we heard from as well. And Joachim uh, Reiter is also with us as well. Uh, Joachim, I know you can't stay uh, too long with us, so I want to come uh, to you first uh, this morning. Um, but uh, let's hear uh, the opening uh, remarks just from each of our speakers first uh, today. So, uh, Lorena, uh, your elevator pitch. Thank you, Brian. Well, uh, Vice President said it all. Uh, trust is, is, is of the essence and there are a number of, of elements that are necessary to build trust. Uh, um, let me talk about uh, the tools that uh, we use normally to build this trust. And in Europe, we are very well known for our regulations. We are good at regulating and I think we should be proud, but that's not the only uh, tool we are using. Uh, a very important tool to build trust is that is the technology itself so that if we are at the forefront of the new technological change or, or the new technological solution and we build it already secure then we are going to build trust so uh, let me give you three examples of where we are combining these type of tools 
uh, cybersecurity, as mentioned by the Vice President. Yes, we are reinforcing the regulatory environment, but we are also pushing technology to uh, artificial intelligence to detect uh, cyber attacks earlier, uh, building our resilience. Another example, David was talking about it, the digital COVID certificate. Uh, it is a piece of legislation with the rules of the game, but we have built the solution from the outset uh, with a digital signature to avoid cyber attacks and with a digital gateway where there is no transfer of personal data. The technological solution is secure. And the last example, Vice President said it, the new proposal on the digital identity. It is a piece of, of legislation, but the technological solution being proposed it's having the citizen in control of the data and in a very cyber secure way. So these are the two tools we are working uh, with to build trust. Thank you. Brenda, thank you. Brando Benefei. Good morning, Brando. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, well, I, I would say that I, 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 I feel very much on the same uh, note of the, of the previous speaker in the sense that uh, um, we, we, we cannot reach the digital compass communication goals set by the Commission without the trust of our citizens. The, the pandemic, uh, for example, has seen an uh, exponential increase of digitalization for obvious reasons, but uh, with it, it came an exponential increase in consumer scams, disinformation, cyber attacks, uh, I've been dealing with this. Uh, now I, I deal with AI. I'm also been nominated rapporteur for uh, the new regulation uh, of the parliament, but I've been working on the consumer um, uh, rights uh, in, uh, in the um, uh, digital environment. And we've seen this uh, increase of, uh, of, uh, of problems and also an evidence of digital divide and of lack of digital literacy. All of which, all these things together, they undermine citizen trust and raise fears in new technologies that influence the public debate and also the policymakers. So a successful digital transition like the one we are aiming for cannot happen if citizens are not behind it. And uh, as a policymaker, I have this very, very clear in my mind. But, uh, in just a few moments, uh, David Stevens, quick remarks. Yes, thank you. Um, let me start with a personal note. I, I think around 10 years ago, I was uh, the chairman of uh, an advisory committee in, uh, in the media sector. And, and back then, journalists came to me and said, David, something really dramatic is happening. Uh, more and more inf information or no, also relevant information journalistically is being spread online and we don't have, we don't have the tools to, to do anything about it. And everybody's becoming a journalist. And I said to them back then, um, well, I think that's a challenge one because the more information is coming online, the more the filtering and the processing and the triage, I would say, by journalists will be relevant. I think the same is true if you look at um, the internet, the digital life of tomorrow, the, the objective to build digital trust, lives are becoming more and more complex. Regulation is becoming more and more complex. And I think the key is in guiding and in keeping it simple or trying to make it simple and understandable for users. Because if we want to empower the users um, to, with their rights, for example, data protection, but also others, they at least need to understand and be able to, to cope with them. And if that means for every web page I'm visiting, clicking away 
an ugly banner or uh, an unattractive text, reading an unattractive text, that's probably not the best user experience. So my plea is very much for let's try. I know life is simple. I know regulation. Uh, life is uh, complex. Sorry. Uh, I know regulation is often also very complex because it's if you want a mirror of our lives. But let's try uh, as all stakeholders to keep it as simple and as understandable for users, because if they if we're talking about user empowerment, that's what we need to do. And again, as an authority, we try to do that. We see, of course, we uh, implement enforcement cases and impose actions or sanctions to uh, controllers that don't abide by the data protection rules. Um, but we also try to uh, to do uh, uh, to inform users. And we also try to uh, establish new regulatory approaches like the codes of conduct I mentioned uh, before. This is all from the point of view of making life regulation uh, understandable for maybe both uh, data controllers, because the commissioner also said that small and medium enterprises might be, it might be challenging for them, but also for users and also for data controllers. So simplicity is my magic word, uh, even though uh, the life is becoming more and more complex. Thank you so much. Uh, Manuel Constant. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, you know, we've been, we've been investing in our own networks uh, to, uh, uh, to create these European fixed mobile convergence champions uh, that are fit to meet these ever-increasing connectivity demands for customers. Uh, in particular, as we think to, uh, to, to, to pick up our lives post the pandemic. Um, and, and during the pandemic, we saw an, an incredible kind of increase in usage of these networks and in a massive use of, of stream time, of course. But also in a way, um, we feel that a lot of people have been using these networks more than ever before, and, but very often not so much aware of the risks and, 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 and vulnerabilities. And I, I think, Trust is something that is, it needs to be built, but it also needs to be, uh, people need to be aware of the, of the dangers that are out there and, and they are, have not been so far too often. Um, we've been engaging with the commission a lot in the, at the start of the pandemic and with national governments. And, and we've, we've had some very useful changes already on, on the, the need to mitigate risks on, on online. Uh, particularly when it came to network management, uh, when when the whole world population started to log on to video services in, in one go, uh, and that has done, and actually that cooperation has worked pretty well. Uh, we also see, you know, there's there's um, more openings for for doubt when when people get engaged digitally. Uh, one example is this: the misinformation spreading around 5G. And uh, together with our peers in the telecom sector, we're working hard to, to combat these kind of false claims on 5G because you know, it's an essential technology for, for the future. So you know, we welcome the Commission's goal uh, to encourage these, uh, these supported technologies and, and a newly proposed AI regulation. And we also understand we have a role to play. Access to seamless connectivity across Europe uh, is, is essential, um, and as Joachim said, there is still an investment gap, but, but the industry is, is working hard to, to make it happen. Um, I would leave it there for the moment. Brian, thanks. Thank you, Mama. Okay, Joachim Reiter, your okay, quick remarks. 
All right, uh, thanks a lot. And my colleagues have said a lot, and it's a surprising degree of uh, uniformity of views, if I can put it like that. So let me throw a little bit of tension into it to help you, Brian, with your uh, debate. I think we all agree that trust is going to be essential for also the level of adoption of Europe of te digital technologies, which will drive our competitiveness. So all of us have an interest, no matter if whether you're corporate sector, citizens, SMEs, or if you, if you uh, represent government. If you think about the two pillars, protection and empowerment, Europe is already today, if you want, a global superpower on rulemaking, st international standard setting. GDPR is a great example of that, and Europe will for sure continue in that space. I think what I'm calling for is a, a bit more granular understanding on how do we crack the problems with empowerment. In, 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 and that, for me, much to Manuel's point, comes much deeper. It's not a command and control that David referred to. It's a multi-stakeholder dialogue, standing shoulder to shoulder to really ensure that all citizens can become uh, as empowered as possible in the digital society that we create. For a company like Vodafone, we, for example, have formulated that in the form of a social contract that we want to engage with all governments and regulators on, which is built around three principles, trust, including on products and services, cyber privacy. It is built on fairness, including uh, how do we overcome the digital gaps and leaving no one behind. And it's built on thirdly, leadership, tackling the fact that SMEs are far less connected than large companies and therefore have struggled through this last pandemic much more than large companies have done in, on, on average. But similarly in that space, skills and making sure that digital is a subservient or a green transition that we all strive for. So we, I think we do need to dig deeper into the empowerment, be a little bit more clear around how, why have Europe failed to empower its citizens sufficiently to date? And how can we jointly, industry and governments and civil society, break through uh, at a different level going forward? Excellent. Thank you. We'll, we'll discuss that uh, in more detail uh, in a few moments as well. Uh, Joachim, I know you don't have a lot of time, so I just want to spend a few minutes with you and then uh, let you go. But you spoke about the role operators can play in building uh, trust with Europeans. You, they need a secure, reliable connectivity. That's got to be a starting point as well. But there are obstacles for you in, in delivering this as well, deploying more high-speed networks uh, across the continent, particularly in rural areas as well, where the digital divide is, is clearly uh, wider. You know, for you, what are the obstacles and how do we overcome these, Joachim? Uh, I can't see your, your, I think you're muted. Can you unmute again? Yeah. There we go. Thank you. Yes. So the commissioner was very kind to give us a bit of an outline of the key parameters. I think the, the challenge that Manuel, myself and other uh, companies are struggling with is all of us would like to bridge the urban-rural divide that we have uh, across Europe. The challenge we have is that economically, under the current circumstances, Europe hasn't figured out the magic formula to make it uh, viable to deploy uh, high connectivity um, uh, to all citizens, no matter where they live, which is a legitimate demand by all societies. So what, what the commission referred to, if I, if I just take a step back, the reality is that only 40% of households today, uh, or 40% of households today still in Europe don't have access to high, uh, high capacity networks, which is frankly not good enough post COVID when we have understood that connectivity is a lifeline for all uh, for all families and all, uh, and all sectors. Now, one of the things that we have been looking at is then whether the e-reconstruction fund, and the commission referred to the RRF national plans, whether it's adequately trying to close the investment gap that Europe has been running over multiple years. 
Uh, unfortunately, we're releasing a report today with Deloitte, which points out that the national uh, reconstruction plans are inadequate to seriously close the gap. And in actual fact, connectivity is probably the least prioritized by member states on average, uh, the least prioritized sector, uh, part of the connectivity that or part of the digital trans transformation that member states put their money to. So we are stuck with a situation where not enough public money is going into it under the EU reconstruction funds. We have a private investment gap because of the health of the sector that we need to overcome in Europe. And rightly, the commissioner pointed out that the commission has struggled to convince member states to change some of the policy requirements on the sector so as to crowd in more private investment. Uh, my own view is that there needs to be a little bit of a reset. We need to come together and sit and discuss what are the real drivers of this large and growing investment gap in Europe that we are now not going to solve through the EU reconstruction funds. I think we are absolutely going to have to think about how do we avoid duplicative spend and that's where you have things like network sharing coming in. You have to look at uh, uh, digital deployment, easing of digital deployment. I mean basically the there's a lot of red tape that basically drives up the cost and delays rollout in Europe of, of connectivity. And then finally on Spectrum, uh, the commission referred to beauty contest. She's absolutely right. Unfortunately, member states are not going down that route. I think from a company like Vodafone, we think there is a quite simple solution out there, which is every single member state can under the existing Spectrum rules, just extend the period by which the uh, licenses are valid. So if you have a New York today, 15 years license compared to China or US where it's perpetual, well, we suggest that member states extend at least 10 more years for the existing spectrum. And that would automatically allow that operators to invest much more because our balance sheets are automatically improving by such a, such a measure. But fundamentally, I think we're struggling with the lack of awareness, how serious the problem is, and a lack of willingness to come together to really wrestle to the ground both on the public side and on the private side, what are the things we need to do to unlock public and private investment so that no European citizen is left behind? Thank you. Okay, you know, we're, it's rare day in Brussels when you don't mention green with digital. So let me bring that in and uh, add another word, China, uh, to that too. You, without the digital investments, it's nearly impossible, perhaps impossible, to achieve the green agenda as well. And so if, if we look simply at smart cities, for example, you know, we can't uh, get the, the energy efficiencies, we can't get the, the carbon reduction cities without uh, 5G connectivity, without the uh, uh, smart interaction of, of cars and, and the infrastructures needed with that. You know, why do you think national governments have not understood uh, this critical investment at this critical moment, Joachim? No, no, I think I think I think we are. Uh, I mean, part of it that part of it is that we have not captured the imagination, neither as an industry nor as policymakers, perhaps, of how essential digital is as a subservient of the green transition. You refer to smart cities, but if you look at something as it sounds technical, but IoT, which is basically the deployment of sensors in all our uh, energy or water distribution system, that allows us an enormous uh, saving of the. Uh, uh, planetary impact of our current economic systems that are frankly, from a sustainability point of view, not viable. So we all know that we're gonna to have to modernize the, the way that we have organized society in a quite a dramatic way. And digital can be an incredible uh, lever to achieve that. So for example, in the case of Vodafone, we sat down and we have now moved uh, to 100% renewable uh, for our own European footprint. Uh, 
and how we run our networks. But when we looked at our carbon enablement, over, until 2030, through IoT alone and the way that we work with our customers, we will be able to save the equivalent of Italy's annual emissions. And, and so there is, a, there is a point around we need to capture that imagination. I think it's starting to come real in an itemized way. But the problem is that when you're talking about a fundamental transformation of society, you need the government to have a vision of how do you redefine a city? How do you spread the nodes of growth? How do you redefine your energy and water systems, for example, your waste okay. garbage systems, uh, whatever it may be. And, and that requires us as companies are very good at selling individual product lines, but we're not okay. good at devising a command system, if you will. Okay, I'm going to come to Brenda Benefit in just a moment uh, to talk about uh, this, the big vision thing that's needed here. So, but just in terms of how we fund Europe's recovery, Joachim, because I was speaking with uh, Gunther Oettinger, the former uh, commissioner uh, last week, uh, about this as well. And he said, look, uh, the, you, need, you need to be able to finance uh, Europe. And a lot of this to do with the, the, the trust that we have and our competitiveness. And if we're not competitive, if we're not supporting our SMEs as well, um, then there's not going to be trust in the markets to sustain uh, this recovery. So you know, from, from your perspective, uh, if we're going to go green and digital all the way through here, uh, what, do, what do you need to sell as the vision thing? What's going to be the, the key narrative that builds the confidence in our competitive capacity and uh, citizens understand as well? How would you pitch it? I would entirely, this is not about green and digital transition as end goals. The, both of them, uh, Lorena referred to that, both of them are means to an end about what does it mean to be a citizen of Europe? I don't know about you guys, but I live in a big city. COVID was horrific. But one of the things I really enjoyed was listening to birds, having good uh, um, uh, um, air quality, actually not being disturbed by cars all the time, not being worried about my kids playing on the street and being hit by a car. There is quite significant opportunities for citizens, but you have to bring it back to the question around in what way does it improve citizens' uh, quality of life, their well-being. And I think all of us have to sort of take our big transition vision and translate it into improvements in people's lives. That's ultimately what it what matters. And I think Lorena and the commissioner did refer to that. Thank you. Joachim, thanks for uh, time today. I know you're under pressure, as is Brando. So I'm going to come to Brando uh, right now as well. Uh, Brando, you, you talked about the different ranges of issues that you're dealing with, this, uh, uh, including disinformation, uh, consumer rights, digital divide, digital skills. Uh, you know, and you mentioned the very beginning about scams as well. So this element of trust has been constantly undermined. And yet, you know, we just spoken about the need for the big vision to, to gain the commitment and the understanding uh, and the confidence of Europe's citizens. What do we need to do to build this trust, Brando? Um, well, I can you hear me? Yes. Yes, perfectly. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in my in my view, uh, I have to say that uh, um, the, the 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 Commission and Vice President Vestager also that we we just heard from uh, um, as uh, as put uh, trust as a pivotal concept in all the ambitious plans uh, for years to come. Um, I mentioned earlier in my first. Uh, um, uh, introductory remarks, uh, the digital compass, but uh, uh, also um, uh, uh, this is this will be crucial for uh, the AI, but also for the DSA when we look at how we can empower our um, 
uh, users uh, in uh, in all their uh, their activities online. Um, I think this. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's crucial that we combine. Um, uh, uh, the uh, legislative actions um, uh, with uh, uh, the digital literacy and the support for uh, learning about uh, um, how the digital environment work. I mean, for example, on the issue of consumers that I mentioned earlier, uh, it's very important that uh, uh, they are informed because otherwise they will uh, they'll just not uh, be able to profit also of existing uh, um, of existing uh, guarantees. Um, it's important to talk also about this concept and this uh, issue of trust in the digital age. Also during the conference on the future of Europe, I mention it because it it was launched uh, uh, with the first plenary just uh, last weekend, a few days ago. I was also there and uh, one of the working groups of the conference that will involve many citizens uh, from all over Europe together with the institutions, local, national, European, will be on the digital uh, issues. Um, so it will be uh, important to work uh, uh, there too. Um, Brian, Brando, let me ask you, is, just, uh, do, uh, do you think, Brando, do you think we worry too much about educating citizens? Yeah. Is this not something more organic in terms of you provide great products, great services, and there will be greater uptake and uh, the market will flow more naturally that way rather than uh, a centrist-driven education process, which people probably won't trust anyway? Brando. Mm, uh, I think it's it's a good point, but I think it's uh, it, we need... Uh, uh, a blend of this because uh, also I, I see that uh, my nephews they they are digital natives like I'm I'm not even though I've also I've always used the computer since an early age but they they are real digital natives but sometimes they don't have the uh, full understanding for example on what happens with the data and as they give data since they are uh, uh, really uh, children uh, they should be able to understand what is uh, what is all about and all uh, the, the, the the privacy issues and how to use uh, things in a in a in a better way so in my view yes uh, it's about products about uh, Organic uh, con context, but I, I believe that we also need some uh, 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 basic education. That is not the same in the um, in the member states in the in the EU. There are differences, and I have to say that this concept will be crucial also for the artificial uh, intelligence. I am in uh, Commissioner Vestager mentioned earlier already some of the most. Um, problematic issues that we will have to deal with that is the um, issues of uh, surveillance and of uh, biometric uh, recognition that will be a, a huge topic of debate in the in the um, in the exchange that we will have between parliament council and commission on how we can make this uh, this uh, proposal better but uh, i i think that's let me put this to Lorena yeah. as well. Lorena, you, you deal particularly with cybersecurity. If we're dealing with resilience here, you, we, we've seen failures in our health system because of lack of preparedness and lack of resilience. And the same will translate into the digital sector, you know, whether it's a cyber attack or simply a, a large system failure, uh, which is not impossible. You know, how, how do we prepare 
and to get this buy-in from European citizens to gain trust by proving that as a union we are better together, we're more resilient together and the systems and services uh, are there for uh, our digital welfare. Lorena. Thank you, Brian. Well, uh, there are several angles to, to, to deal with here. First of all, and you mentioned uh, attacks even to the health system. Uh, and uh, here comes something which is at the, at the essence of how to trust our own systems. Uh, very often, and it's the case in the health system, and it's understandable, uh, when you are running, you are the manager of, of, of an institution, whether public or private, uh, for example, if it's health and you have the choice where to put my money, first reaction is going to be, well, in saving lives. Uh, I mean, cybersecurity things will come later because uh, my first mandate saving lives. But there's not yet this second thought that investing in cybersecurity is saving lives uh, because today cyber attacks are no, no longer something that happens in the cyber world. They have consequences in real life, whether it's health when a, a hospital is attacked or whether it's pipelines where suddenly people cannot go and, and fill their cars. So the, and I will not mention all the more possible dramatic effects. So I think that um, we need to be prepared uh, because as for the pandemia, everybody knew that a pandemia would arrive at one point or another. There were so many predictions and yet it arrived and were we ready? So I think that here we need to also be ready for, 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 for large scale cyber attacks. And this is a mix of, of things. We need to build resilience uh, and resilience you build it by investment, as I was saying, you build it uh, by um, uh, having a regulatory environment uh, for example in the rules we are changing now uh, we are extending the scope of application so there are now new sectors that uh, before we didn't thought were, were critical and now we see they are critical health was covered by but for example a production of medical devices or uh, labs were not covered now we are covering them we are realizing digitally spreading everywhere uh, we need uh, also, uh, you were saying it before, this not trust in sharing information, it's, it's impossible. Now, we need to share information, we need to cooperate. Uh, this is why we are building, for example, the Joint Cyber Unit and we are working on networks. This uh, sharing of information is, is crucial and it, trust is of the essence. Uh, there will not be sharing of information if we don't trust each other. And to trust each other, we need to raise the level of cyber preparedness. And this is what we are trying to, uh, to work with. Uh, and as I was saying before, uh, using, using technology, <laughs> because the hackers are becoming more and more smart. Uh, it is normal. They use technology to attack us better. Okay. We need to use technologies to defend us better. Thank you. I'm going to come to Manuel and, and, in just a second. Uh, but, uh, Brando, I know you have to go 12, so just a, a quick word before you go as well. Lorena's talking about uh, the, the awareness of cybersecurity and, and uh, the resilience that's needed from that as well. Do you think that's the, the direction that we should go with education about, uh, you know, if you talk about algorithms, the complexity, looking inside the black box, most people are not going to get that. But teaching critical thinking for it to, to uh, repair.
detailed disinformation and teaching about uh, the different dynamics of cybersecurity. Do you think that is can be digested by citizens? Uh, I think to some extent, yes, because we we have learned about security in other contexts, in uh, in but also technological ones that are not the digital. Uh, once so in in our everyday life uh, so I, I think we can we can do this this is an important uh, point to, to to raise and to discuss uh, we must do it and we we must push for this also in terms of of, of learning but but at the same time the institutions should uh, uh, work to ensure the maximum level of security of cyber security of lack of risk as much as possible in terms of the using of applications. Uh, I get back to conclude on the AI, in fact, because there will be a debate on whether it will be okay or not. I had exchanges already with Commissioner Vestager that is more optimistic, we can say. Some of us are a bit less optimistic that the if we leave uh, uh, the uh, developers uh, of AI a full uh, um, possibility to uh, uh, do a self-assessment of uh, the uh, categorization to, of high-risk applications uh, for AI uh, and so to have a, a specific regulation that will be uh, specific for high-risk, we risk, sorry for the game of words, that there will be high-risk applications that we find out they are high-risk only when the consequences and the damage is there. So we need to be more careful, more preemptive when we look at some kind of, of applications. And I, I, I think that it's important that people are educated and are able to, to deal with this, but we need to be sure that we don't let uh, things go in a way that uh, are uh, uh, creating risks without... Uh, uh, as able to, as regulators, to look at them before they, they, they get into everyday life of people and maybe create damages that will be difficult to, to amend. So we will need to work on this balance, on self-assessment uh, self, uh, of the risk by the developers and control ex ante and not only ex post by the institutions. This will be, this will be our work also with the Commission in the, the next months. Thank you. Brando, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. And thank you. Manuel, thank you. Manuel, you, you heard from uh, Commissioner Vestager as well. She was saying that 25% of Europeans trust the idea of self-driving cars as well. There's a lot of work still to be done there. But do, do you think this is, uh, uh, the problem here is one, of, uh, is one lack of experience and that as people begin to use these services, they begin to see them in, with real-life ability that this trust will simply grow, Manuel? Uh, <clears throat> partly yes, but partly let me also throw in a bit of a curveball here, Brian. I think, uh, yes, we need more trust, but we also need a significant increase, uh, increasing awareness of security matters. I think the, um, uh, there was a very interesting article written by Yuval Harari in the Financial Times about a week ago, where he basically said, you know, the, the pandemic this year has been actually a triumph of, of, of mankind over, over uh, the, the biggest biological crisis we've witnessed in, in, in a generation. Uh, in many th ways, thanks to information technology, we've been, we've been able to keep our economies growing, uh, going with, with IT, 
uh, we've been able to to develop vaccines at, at breakneck records uh, because of the IT uh, connectivity of, of all of the big uh, scientific laboratories in the world. But it has also made us incredibly uh, dependent and, and vulnerable to future attacks on, on that infrastructure, be it through through malware or cyber warfare. And that's something that we, we really need to um, uh, be very, very mindful of. And I think a lot of ordinary citizens, but also public institutions, you know, need to be need to be a lot more aware of. Um, I, I remember only a few years ago that the, the um, you know, the Dutch have this system of controlling their, their water levels throughout the country uh, with, with sluice gates and, and, and locks everywhere. And it appeared that there was one single password that was necessary to open up all of the locks in the country with a, with a single cl click of a button. So those kind of things we really need to be mindful of. And I think that, that requires as much attention as, as developing the trust itself. Yeah, and part of this, this has got to be a, a civil response process as well. Not that you ever want to use it, uh, like uh, preparing with certain types of medicines, but it's there when it's needed. And very few European countries have this kind of uh, response mechanism. Sweden, I think, uh, is one which uh, has uh, advised all citizens, they all get a handbook and simple things like how to aerate water uh, as well in the bathtub. Uh, Latvia, for example, uh, during the pandemic, uh, they had a 72-hour response plan as well where all citizens were required to be self-sufficient for at least 72 hours until the government was able to uh, re-establish connections and communications across the country. Is this part of what it takes to build citizens' trust? Is that, you know, we, we've got your back, but you've got to be reliant to a certain point. And yes, there will be problems, but yes, we can deal with them. Have we got to learn to speak this way to, to the whole continent, Manuel? Yes, I think so. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a shared responsibility between, between governments, uh, companies and and ordinary citizens. You know, a a a, a sing, single citizen can be uh, unfortunately in this world responsible for for launching a cyber attack because his his or her computer is infected in in a way that it that it spreads across the world, and so everybody has this shared responsibility. It needs to be an open debate, um, and everybody needs to be aware of what his or her role is going to be in that process. Okay. And, and, you know, companies have a big role to play there as well, obviously, and we do. We have 24-7 sort of war rooms that, that, are, that are fighting these kind of attacks, uh, but we can't do it alone. Okay. David, simplicity, back to your, your pet theme. Uh, you know, we are dealing with 5G, which is still poorly understood by the average consumer, uh, and yet is, offers a huge boost in terms of capacity and global competitiveness if we do it right uh, for our economies. And then we have quantum, still another layer to be put in there too. How do we articulate simplicity to Europe's citizens and build trust with so, such a dynamic and complicated environment? Thank you for that question. Interesting question. Um, I would like to make a couple of comments on the debate going on. And, and actually, the answer sure. to the question is sure. also baked into to, to these comments. But first of all, I wouldn't be I get a negative impression of uh, of this uh, idea of trust is missing. And, and I it, it's not fair because he left already. But I, I noted down Joachim spoke uh, about failed empowerment. I wouldn't be so negative if I, at least from the data protection point of view, I think 
um, citizens are becoming more and more aware about their rights, about how to execute them. Does that mean that not that, that all is well and nothing can be done? Of course not. There is uh, so first first comment. I wouldn't be so negative about empowerment or trust. I think there is a lot of trust, um, and we are doing things online which we wouldn't uh, imagine. Uh, doing online five or even two years ago, I think. So so overall, the level of trust is quite okay, I think. Of course, there is work to be done, and it's not so black as black and white as there is no trust or there is trust, first comment. Second, there is work to be done, uh, of course. And, and of course, um, there too, it's not black and white. Do we need to launch products and make sure that they're okay? Uh, or do we need to turn towards central education? There I liked particularly what uh, Manuel was saying, that, that it's a shared responsibility of, of everybody and that, um, yeah, if we want to take further steps with regard to trust, we probably need to do it all, all together because even an individual can undermine the trust for an entire system. Think about the, the water example that Manuel gave. And then finally, and that's a comment which I would like to uh, support fully of uh, Lorena, is if there is one, for me personally, if there is one thing what the COVID crisis has learned or showed, that is that there is, we can no longer make a distinction between cyber, which would be in the beginning of the 90s was like a separate legal order and, and shouldn't be regulated. It was the free heaven of, uh, of, of ideas and so on and so on. And that's completely gone. As all our lives are happening digital. And all, as almost every aspect is 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 uh, is supported by digital technology, and even online. I think there is no distinction anymore, not at all, between what we call real life and online life or cyber or whatever. Um, and 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 of course, there is the issue of dependency. We depend every day, and, and that too we learned through the COVID crisis. Every day we depend more uh, on the on digital technology. So. Um, now, if you would repeat your question, I think I could uh, summarize the response to it. You did a good job there. Okay, basically, uh, the idea that we need uh, to have, have a level of civil preparedness as well uh, to, to, to build on that simplicity. How do we articulate this simplicity when we have artificial intelligence, which is too complicated for most policymakers, never mind most citizens, and then we have uh, quantum being layered on on top of that, which is basically like adding steroids to the system as well. You, how, how, do you, how do you engage citizens in a way which is tangible, uh, digestible, uh, and yet, as, as you emphasize, uh, for good communications, it must be simple? If I look, okay, thank you. Uh, if I look from the from the public I'm side, just glad as I was a regulator, able to the question actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I look from the public side, I think, I'm, I mean, I mean, there is an important role to play, and probably we need to 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 make sure that we're supported in playing that role uh, by technologies as well. But there is an important role to play to combat false simplification. Uh, for example, the five G or the relationship between five G and the COVID vaccine and things like that or 5G and others, where there is a lot of fake information. Um, uh, and, and I think as a public authority, it, it, and not me, not me as a data protection authority, but the public authorities at large, if we could somehow try to or get rid of, which is probably impossible, or educate users that there is really 
information online and it's not because it is online uh, that it's true um, then i think that would already be a, a quite an important step but then of course uh, you you can be optimistic about this i think it's feasible to do that if we do it all together but you can be pessimistic about it if uh, even presidents of of uh, or former presidents uh, deny the global warming also then i mean that indicates that we might have a, a serious problem in this area of fake news and fake well how fake simplicity i would i would call right. it thank you i i would love to talk more about critical uh, thinking and teaching in schools now i need to take some questions as well so loren a couple of questions uh, for you first so the one is from johannes and yes, this is for Commissioner Vestager, but uh, you kind of work in the same building. So, dear Commissioner, uh, do you plan to require the transparency of algorithms operating um, on the European markets? Uh, she touched on this a little bit. Can you give a bit more detail? Well, that would be more for my colleague, Lucy, dealing with artificial intelligence. But as you know, we have come with a, a proposal on, on artificial intelligence where transparency is indeed uh, uh, a very important part of it. And uh, as we were saying before, uh, we are talking about empowering citizens. A way to empower citizens is by, by, uh, by increasing their knowledge. How do you increase their knowledge, increase their knowledge? with transparency measures. So there are indeed in, in the proposal, there are a number of transparency measures uh, uh, in the field of, of, of algorithm as well. Um, but I indeed would uh, pass that question to my colleague, uh, Lucy, dealing with artificial intelligence. But, uh, but, but indeed, I think that's Another question more specifically on security, so also from Johannes. Um, how does the commission propose to go about monitoring whether it's rules on security and surveillance and abuse are respected? Well, what we have done in the, in the, in the proposal on, on, on the NIS directive is, is to increase precisely uh, enforcement powers. So uh, one of the problems we had is that uh, cyber authorities in many member states didn't have really the tools to enforce the rules and uh, for example, the level of fines were ridiculous in, in some member states. So uh, this is one of the things uh, we are dealing with, because at the end of the day, as we were saying before, uh, this is all a shared responsibility uh, between citizens, uh, industry and government. If we want to improve uh, security, uh, citizens are said by being empowered with transparency, with skills, which is key in the field of, of cybersecurity, being aware, and with empowering them with, with technology, as we were saying before, on the side of the government be, to, to, to tell clearly that uh, there are rules of the game and that, uh, as my commissioner often says, uh, uh, what is uh, allowed offline should be allowed online and what is not allowed offline should not be allowed <laughs> Uh, offline should not be allowed uh, online, so that there are also rules to be respected. Uh, and uh, for uh, for the for the companies, uh, I think that management managers need to be more responsible. Uh, this is one of the things that we do in the in the new proposals on, on cybersecurity to increase the level of responsibility of the managers. If you are a manager of a body, and you know that your responsibility is at stake. You're going to pay more attention to the cybersecurity measures that are taken by your own company. So that's something that is very important. And also, of course, that uh, 
products uh, and services are by design already secured. So here is also for companies, but also for 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 uh, for the new rules to 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 come in place. Thank you. Uh, please send uh, more questions in. We have others. I'm going to uh, come to those in just a moment. More to do with the market structure, things like that. Um, but please send us more questions, and we'll, we have uh, a few. We've got 15 minutes, so I'll send those now, and I'll bring those to the panel in just a moment or two. Uh, Manuel, I was speaking to the Commissioner of Estagger last week, and we were talking about uh, the comparison between. Uh, former wars uh, were the one with the biggest arsenal and the most uh, uh, best trained army would win and democracy was won or lost that way. Today on the digital side as well, cybersecurity but also market power, competitiveness is largely going to be driven by the digital side. Uh, you know, is this a, a winner-takes-all situation and, and Europe really has to uh, and put the money on the table, ensure the infrastructure is developed, ensure that uh, the security systems uh, are better than our global competitors. Is this the moment of truth for, for Europe, Manuel? Yes, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't over dramatize it. Uh, I'm a journalist. It's, I'm uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we thrive by hyperbole. Yeah, no, it, it, there is, there, there's, a lot to do, but let's not forget that that we have a um, we have already achieved a lot, right? I mean, and, and certainly there are certain parts of Europe which have um, achieved very very high degrees of uh, of connectivity uh, and of digitization, uh, but there is still a lot more to do. Um, the what it means for your global competitiveness, I think, honestly. The uh, honestly, this past year, and, and we will we'll see a lot of, of learnings coming through afterwards. But it has all kind of taught us a lot, right? About how how quickly we can pivot and move online with with all of the economies and, and services. The economies keep running, and Europe has done pretty well through that uh, through that past year, thanks in large part to a pretty resilient kind of um, uh, overall infrastructure, whether it's fixed or, or, or mobile. Um, governments can still do a lot to, to, to digitize further. I think uh, companies, um, um, irrespective of their, of, their, of their online connectivity, um, still require to digitize their processes and their, their back office and their whole, their whole customer care handling a lot more than, than than what they do today. But in all of those, I think Europe today doesn't do that badly compared to the rest of the world. Um, Let and, me say, talk um, about standards uh, then. Do you think, do you think our, our lack of ability to resolve, to resolve standards issues, particularly to do with 5G, is going to uh, hinder us and hinder us quickly uh, when we compare with the Chinese market for even our uh, automobile manufacturers, they, they, they know what they're doing in China. There's a standard there. And uh, in Europe, they can't plan for a critical infrastructure because um, of the, the indecision when it comes to standards. Manuel? Well, I, I would challenge it. I think, you know, it depends on what kind of standards you're talking about. But I, I think the, the multilateral structure of the European Union has forced uh, European countries to to set to create these global standards or these European standards, which have become an export product, right? And 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 I think Yoki mentioned it earlier today that you know there are a number of standards areas where where Europe has led the way, 
um, and basically have defined the the the, the global the global system. And GDPR is, is one yeah. of those. Um, when it comes to technology standards, of course, you know, it, 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 the there are definitely uh, standards wars. There have always been. Remember, you know, VHS versus Betamax in the nineteen eighties and nineteen seventies. And and that you know in the in the space of electric cars that's happening today, I know the Chinese are are developing different kinds of electric cars with their own infrastructure. Not sure if they will travel worldwide. By the way, that's that's another that's another issue. Um, but I, you know you're right. There is there is always in this technology space there is a, a global competition for 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 standards. But um, I don't see Europe running behind significantly there. We, we do need to catch up on our connectivity. We do need to catch up on digitization of our, of our critical kind of uh, business processes and, right. and, and uptake. But other than that, I think we, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not a bad picture. What I am worried about is the vulnerability of the networks for, right. for, for, for international global attacks. I'm just about to come on to that as well, and for, for data for, for David also. You know, the US and EU are still trying to work out how we're going to talk to each other in civilized terms, and you know, privacy shield, die to death, and uh, there's, you know, this is still something which, even despite the Biden's administration's slightly softer approach, is unresolved. You know, we talk a lot about China as being a competitor, the America, depending which administration is viewed as uh, passive or, or more aggressive. David, how do you see our alignment when it comes to data and what this means for trust for European citizens? Uh, have we done a lot to protect, uh, to encourage the GDPR? Do we risk undermining that with a weak agreement with the United States? That's actually more a question for the European Commission, I would say, because it's the Commission. <laughs> I don't think the European Commission would comment, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the Commission who negotiates that kind of agreement. But no, jokingly aside, um, I think um, the way we deal with personal data is not exactly the same as what the way we deal or Americans deal with uh, personal identifiable information. It's not exactly the same. Uh, and of course, that's the basic starting point. If you're not talking about the same definition of a basic concept like that, discussions always be, uh, become difficult. Um, one example, it, information uh, which is shared online in Europe stays personal data and stays protected and you cannot use it just because it's available online. That's not always the same uh, in, in the United States. So I think the difficulty is trying to find um, common understanding about, well, levels of, well, not only the definition, but also levels of protection and types of protection. And, and that um, in, if we go to, to that kind of, um, how should I say, discussion, I think it will be easier um, to, to come to a compromise. Um, Knowing that, of course, the the accessibility of information for all kinds of state intelligence services will always be be, uh, be a difficult uh, discussion, even even if you're an ex member of the European Unity uh, uh, European Union. Sorry. So I mean, but I'm 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 quite positive that we will um, find another compromise or. Well, we, the Commission, will find a compromise with with uh, America on uh, on a quite short notice, and 
in the meantime, um, I, don't, I don't want to be the one saying that there is no problem, not at all. Uh, the level of protection at the uh, sites of the United States need to be equivalent to what we have in the, Euro in the European Union. Um, but I also don't think that it's um, that it would be fair to to now prohibit any kind of use of uh, of U.S. based uh, technology. Let's let's put it that way. So I mean, again, it, this is uh, actually a commission uh, question. When will we get a new deal? That's, uh, I'll put a softer angle on it for Lorena and give her a chance to actually answer it. Uh, Lorena, you know, the, the, the word, the, the name Max Schrems uh, sends chills through, through the, the commission. You know, this process is ongoing and, and essentially it's about uh, reciprocity as well. Having European citizens' rights respected in the United States in the way that we would uh, treat their rights as well. This goes to the core of what trust is, you know, a level playing field. Uh, a transparency of process, and uh, when it comes to sort of data protection, uh, the, the a, a fair judicial process. You know, do you think that advocate advocates like Max Schrems will continue to dominate the agenda, or will we fix these rules in a way which European citizens will really trust and will not? Uh, well, well, as the Commissioner said earlier, it will be uh, something of a full trust in the system. Do you think we're going to achieve that full trust, Lorena? I'm an optimistic by nature. <laughs> I think that what, why, why we are having this debate today uh, is in great uh, part due to, to the great speed of digitization. I think that what is happening uh, in terms of lack of trust, cyber attacks, this is something that uh, comes with digitization. I mean, the, the, the bad guys evolve at the same time as the good guys, let's say, and we need the time to set the rules and to build the empowerment of citizens, their skills, their uh, their knowledge, their awareness. And with uh, COVID, things have gone very, very, very quickly. And I think this is why we are having all these debates. Oh my God, suddenly all this exploding. We are all dependent on digital and uh, we are maybe scared. So, uh, but I believe that things will <laughs> now settle and we have maybe done a step which is much bigger than normally would have happened in such short period of time. Uh, but I believe that the right tools and mechanisms are being put in place and I'm, I'm optimistic as, as uh, <laughs> as um, Manuel, that uh, that we are doing the right things at all fronts, whether it's in the misinformation field, it's in how we deal with artificial intelligence, how we deal with cyber. What happens is that the tools we are using, whether as uh, they were saying before, is education, is um, technology itself, it's regulation. Now we need to put them into practice, into practice at a much, much uh, higher speed, okay. uh, including also transatlantic cooperation, and we are on it. We are, we are discussing, uh, as, as was seen last week with, with the visit of, of, of the president, I think that on all fronts we are, we are working on it, and I am, I am optimistic. 
Thank you. Just to, we're going to come to closing remarks in just a second, but just to, to end what you were saying there, you know, we invest in certain types of our economy to to make it advance, not just to to protect it, but to make it advance. And you know, there are global actors, uh, China, Russia, who have as part of their longer-term objective the destabilization of Europe, and they invest large amounts of money in this to achieve uh, that objective. Europe doesn't invest a large amount of money in repelling that kind of disinformation, that kind of cyber attack. Is it, is it really time that we invested substantially more and focused on this as, as a core element of not just protection of our democracy, but also the protection of our future economy? Lorena, just quick comment. Yes, I, I fully agree. And this is what has happened. I think that with the new commission, things have radically changed. Uh, since the day uh, our president von der Leyen decided that detail would be a high priority, uh, I can assure you <laughs> the, the speed of work uh, in my DG has multiplied uh, in terms of tools that we are adopting, but also the level of investment. Huge. I mean, the fact that uh, for RRF uh, it was decided that 20% should go to digital, this had not happened before. So I think that, yes, we need to highly increase the level of investment, uh, not only to give the importance, because as I was saying before, if we are at the forefront of the new technological developments and solutions, we are ready from the outset, building the, the future in accordance to our principles and rules. And this is why industrial policy is of key importance. This is why the okay. Commission of Return is giving so important to it. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, uh, 30 seconds, your wrap-up sound bites. Uh, David, you want to go first? So, trust in a digital decade, what needs to be done? If you really want to be, uh, build trust in the digital uh, decade, if you really want your customer to trust you, I think you have to respect your trust, uh, your customer and, uh, well, simplicity comes around again. As Goethe said, in der Beschränkung zeigt sich der Meister. Also, simplicity. Thank you so much. Manuel, 30 seconds. I think, uh, you know, awareness is good, but we also need a, a culture of uh, vigilance uh, among companies and among citizens and government. Uh, we invest a lot in online training when it comes to uh, privacy, when it comes to security. And that's something that needs to become a, a cultural phenomenon throughout our society. Excellent. Thank you, Lorena. Last word. Thank you very much. Uh, I think that the key uh, is in, in cooperation, in doing it together. I think it's uh, the days where uh, the government uh, taking care of everything uh, are gone. No, it's impossible to deal with, with what we are facing, which is good, but has also its risk, uh, can only be fixed by cooperation between governments, uh, companies and citizens. Uh, it's, it's, a joint, it's a joint exercise. Thank you to all our panelists today, Lorena Brando, David Manuel and Joachim. Also, thank you to Commissioner Vestager for taking time uh, to be with us and to Giga Europe uh, for supporting the event. And for my team here at Euractive, to Malta, Zoran, uh, to Ross and Tamara, uh, you don't see them, uh, but I do, and uh, it wouldn't happen without them. So wishing you all a very sunny, optimistically, uh, day in Brussels eventually. Uh, good afternoon.